Hightower, the Real NBA Fantasy NBA Hybrid Podcast brought to you by Kyle Stein, Jalen Utsi, and Michael Kimball. Today we are in week six, uh, and we're going to start off with a little bit of um, NBA-adjacent sad news. I don't know quite what to call it, but Dave Hickey, who wrote one of the best basketball essays ever written the heresy of the zone defense passed away on november 12th and um yeah we wanted to take this moment to sort of recognize his contribution to the game to the discussion of the game highly recommend anybody seeking out this essay easy google search out there the essay essentially suggests that rule changes over the history of basketball have led to more beautiful basketball in thinking about that in his essay earlier today, I realized that it also dovetails with our last guest on the show, Seth Partnow, and his coverage of analytics, which also has led to more beautiful basketball. So understanding these two things, the way rule changes can lead to more beautiful basketball and the way that analytics can show us things about basketball that lead to more beautiful basketball. uh, I just sort of love that idea. Um, so that's Dave Hickey. If you want to go check out that essay, The Heresy of the Zone Defense. But yeah, I th- and I think, as you said, the central uh, message of the essay is this argument about rules that govern versus rules uh, that liberate. Um, and right. I think uh, you can kind of track the rules changes in the NBA through that specific context. They've almost all uh, almost all of them have been instituted to improve offensive play, um, improve offensive flow, uh, yeah. creativity, uh, and 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 lead to more liberation. Uh, right. You know, and so like at, at a certain point, you know, the the pre- preventing teams from playing zone defense was the thing that was liberating, and then right. eventually the you know the um, illegal defense rules was actually was actually preventing. Uh, for us from seeing the kind of sophisticated offenses um, and the movement and the sophisticated defenses uh, that we see today. So, I mean, uh, you know, for me personally, and I imagine for you two, you know, during the pandemic, when we were watching the classic games and talking about those games, it was really instructive to kind of have that thought in our minds because those rules changes were so much uh, more present and closer um, uh, and more germane to those older games. So it was, it was really interesting to think about them in that context. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and it's the, the rule changes you've mentioned along with an understanding of analytics that have led to more passing, um, more spacing, more um, outside shooting, which I enjoy, more mid-range game as a leverage point, which I enjoy. And so um, the way these two things feed each other uh, is, is a, yeah, it's just a great thing and it's a great way to watch basketball. <laughs> yeah, and I think it, it it can also tie into the rules or the point of emphasis that we're seeing um, instituted uh, and officiated this season, where the the NBA, the league as a whole, and the competition committee decided that um, offensive players had too much freedom and too much leeway 
uh, to draw fouls and that that was actually a no longer liberating, you know, <laughs> right. um, or it was at least not fun to watch. Right. I think it, it was definitely not fun to watch like that, <laughs> that. That was a big key for me. And, and, you know, on our fantasy teams, we've seen this new rule hurt certain players. Like it, it, I have, I'm carrying James Harden this year and it's definitely hurting him. But at the same time, I will take a bad fantasy team over better basketball any day. And I think the, the, the change in those foul calls has definitely led to a more enjoyable game. Yeah. And I guess the last thing I'll say is it's like the liberation, I guess, goes both ways, you know, offense and defense. The defense is certainly more liberated, um, yeah. and has more leeway <laughs> to be physical um, right now in the regular right. season. So that, that that's pretty interesting. Players like Alex Caruso are just you know, uh, running over guys. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're just having their way. This it's a good time to be Alex Caruso basically. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe Pat Beverly and a few other guys like that too. It's, uh, um, there's a lot more contact on the perimeter than, than we were seeing. And I was trying to think of too, like what are the next, what, what are the next rule changes? What is the next thing I would like to see? Um, I mean, I think uh, we we sort of got into this. This is something I wish we could have asked Seth about more, yeah. uh, about the, the rules changes that will be necessary to bring back the post-up game. Right. Um, and I also wanted to ask, like, you know, I think in the book he says that, you know, typically the players that play those positions are the least equipped at sort of, uh, making the reads and passes that they need in order to make posting up a viable option, right? Posting up is a viable option for uh, Nikola Jokic because he can score incredibly efficiently down there. Um, so, you know, the point per possession math works out really well for those plays where normally it doesn't. The right. post up is generally not efficient for most players in the league right now, but he can also pass and make right. all of the, all of the necessary reads there. So you're not losing anything, right? It's not a situation where it's either a score, a foul or a turnover, which, you know, at his worst is what happens with Joel Embiid, right? This is some of his playoff struggles, whereas Nikola Jokic just doesn't have that problem, but it feels like the question is, uh, you know, is the AAU pipeline, the development pipeline going to start developing post players with the ability to read the game in such a way that it will make the post up more viable? And I, I mean, I agree with Seth that I think a rules change will be necessary in order to bring it back. But I was just wondering from like a development standpoint, if maybe that would kind of help the, the, to, to bring it back if players started developing those skills as big men. Yeah, I mean, seeing the need for bigs with more skills, the stretch four, stretch fives, uh, I, I, I kind of expected to be part of development uh, in the same way that, that three-point shooting is now a point of emphasis for any big coming up um, who is anywhere close to being able to shoot the three. Uh, I, I think this will be too. So it'll be interesting to see how that changes. And one of the ones I was thinking of is just the charge block rules. Like, it's an ugly part of the basketball game and it's a part of the basketball game that you, you have to know basketball fairly well to understand and see the call and understand the minutiae of the call and some other somebody set or not and all of that i would love to see a, some clarity with that you know all the replays all the who did what was he set wasn't he but like it's just it's 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 not great for basketball yeah um yeah, it's it's tricky because obviously you don't want to have a situation where a player like LeBron or whatever big wing is capable of just bulldozing their way to the basket. You know, this almost goes back to uh, 
uh, James Naismith, you know, sort of <laughs> inventing a game that was less physical than football, you know, so we want right. to obviously keep that <laughs> instituted. But yeah, it's just, I don't know what can be done truly, but yeah, you just, it's a dangerous play oftentimes because a guy is incentivized to almost throw their body under per- someone who's about to jump in the air. So yeah, it, I do wish that something could be done about it. Speaking of um, somewhat physical plays, there was an incident in the Lakers-Pistons game on Sunday. Um, I'm not quite sure to start with it, uh, but um, the the incident itself, uh, uh, we saw Isaiah Stewart uh, boxing out LeBron James uh, very physically and was called for a loose ball foul there. Then we see LeBron's elbow connect with Stewart's head and then his arm um, speed up somewhat unnaturally and smash him in the face and sort of rake him across. Um, There's a lot of blood. It was a really ugly incident. I don't want to ascribe uh, too much intent there, but it looked really bad. Um, And Stewart's reaction to it was also um, pretty bad. The multiple runs uh, to try to get at LeBron um, was was pretty ugly to see. Um, and um, so, what we saw on social media and other places were a lot of extreme takes about the personalities of these two players. Um, which, you know, a lot of issues with that. I'm not sure we can even get into it. Uh, But one of the more interesting things I saw come from this is the number of sports writers who took it as an opportunity to call out LeBron's seeming decline. You know, it's a very short, small sample for this season so far. Uh, But there was an article by John Hollinger at The Athletic, in which he points to a play in the first quarter where LeBron uh, beats Sadiq Bey off the dribble, gets into the lane. Cade Cunningham is in front of him. I would have expected LeBron to just go up for a dunk there. It's the kind of play we've seen from him hundreds of times over his career. Um, but he gets to Cade, and instead of sort of going up strong there, he goes to his left for a kind of janky reverse layup, doesn't get a lot of height. Isaiah Stewart comes in from the top and uh, blocks a shot away. It made LeBron look a little feeble in that spot. Um, John Hollinger goes into it in great depth uh, at the athletic talking about that play. He also calls out a few other things that happened in that game. Jeremy Grant blocked a three from LeBron and LeBron also had two failed post-ups against tiny little Corey Joseph uh, down on the right block, which he wasn't able to convert. Hollinger also goes into a lot of statistics that sort of point to this um, seeming decline of LeBron's. This season, he's more reliant on threes with nearly half of the shots coming from uh, the three-point line now. His average shot distance has increased to 15 feet this season versus 11 for his career. He's shooting 65.9% at the rim, which is the worst in his career. His rebound rate is down to 7.6. He's averaging 5.2 rebounds a year. His lowest total since his rookie season what i saw was a a, a player not playing at the top of the game potentially in decline as hollinger is suggesting and the statistics suggest and i saw a man lashing out uh, against somebody who seemingly had the audacity to play him that physically that's my take on it what'd you guys see 
Well, um, you know, I'll start with the Hollinger piece first. Um, yeah. Just to say, you know, at least some context for, I'm sure, you know, I actually didn't read um, Hollinger's piece yet. Um, and so I don't know how far back in the season he's going. I mean, we should expect some age-related decline from LeBron. Um, he was also coming off a, an eight-game absence uh, where he came back earlier than what a lot of us were expecting. Sure. You know, some of the news coming out around that was that he could potentially miss a couple of months. Um, you right. know, there was a lot of ambiguity, and then just kind of like surprisingly, he just shows up um, yeah. he, where he's going to play next game. And then the Pistons game was only his second game back from okay. that. You know, because sure. what it was he played Friday and then Sunday, and he um, definitely looked rusty. Like it could yeah. be attributed to that without a doubt. And so, I mean. But even, even given that, you know, um, th I think we would have to expect some decline from him. And, of course. And I'm, I'm sure that uh, there will be some emotional reactions to that along the way. But I also, like, I just, I want to start by focusing on the long range view that you brought up there, because from what I've seen, I don't believe that he doesn't have another adjustment in him, um, you know, around the right players. And in, in certain ways, I think he has a lot of the right kind of players around him. I mean, certainly too many old Lakers, but, you know, from what I've seen, um, you know, granted, Taylor Horton Tucker was playing, was shooting great before LeBron James got back and he's, his offense, took most really, of his shots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his offense, whatever confidence was there seems to have really, uh, you know, tapered off here, but, um, you know, tanked really. Um, yeah. But the good thing that I've liked is that there, um, he brings a, a level of activity and dynamism to both the defensive and offensive end um, that I think they've really needed around uh, LeBron and AD and, yeah. um, and, you know, AD is still what, 27, 28 years old right now. I think, yeah. And, right. Um, you know, and still just at like the peak of his powers. Although I, I will say. Well, that's you know, what the Lakers need is peak AD here. Yeah. I mean, and, actually, and, I was going to say one other thing there. I mean, this is like, we'll have to circle back to talking about LeBron. But I watched that um, the Bucks lakers matchup uh, where Giannis went something like 18 of 22 from the field. <laughs> right. And, and just basically made AD look small. Um, yeah. and I don't well, know he is compared I, yeah to, I don't know if that was, yeah I don't know if that was just like a one-off um you know situation it was played in Milwaukee and like AD didn't have his complimented players around him and all kinds right. of things were, were, were going on about that but like I was not prepared for how dominant Giannis looked um, in relation yeah. to, to AD who you know let's just all admit like coming into the league like AD was like this is the next superstar. Right. Giannis was, you know, catch us all by surprise. And I still think in certain ways it catches me by surprise to see Giannis dominate him in those ways. But to, to go back to all, all of this is like, this is just to say like, you know, AD and Taylor Horton Tucker and, um, you know, maybe Malik Monk and you're going to like, maybe Kendrick Nunn comes back and they just get some people with some more movement and things. And they sure. allow LeBron James to find a place on the team where he can make the best out of where his body is at. Sure. At the age that he's at. Uh, now, as far as the boxing out goes there, there are a couple. So one thing that, that you didn't mention 
but provides at least some context for how this happens. It's definitely a cheap shot, but I think that like LeBron, um, so what was happening was that DeAndre Jordan and LeBron were trying to double team, um, you know, Isaiah Stewart out of the the rebound play. And, and Isaiah Stewart is just ferocious. And they were like, they were, they were struggling with, DeAndre the intensity Jordan. of his yeah. play yeah. yeah with DeAndre Jordan being the other person helping to box him out and yeah. and like and there's just all of that like jostling and pushing and you know and I, I, apparently at some point LeBron lost it and like you know and he swung his elbow in his hand I I can't be sure that he like you know like just when you look at the replay over and over it's really hard like, I don't think he would have known that he was going to punch him in the face. Like, I think he knew what he was doing with his elbow. I think that you absolutely know what you're doing with your elbow, but that kind of like in, in the, in the play, like it's really hard to ascribe intent there. It's still like, of course. He, but he we can swung, say he, he swung sped up arm. his arm he swung really fast and did it with force Oh yeah, and knew he was going to hit Isaiah Stewart with force. Exactly. Like we know that. I yeah. don't think he could have ever, you know, ever imagined there would be that much blood or that the reaction yeah. from Isaiah I mean, Stewart would, would be that. Nobody would do that if they could imagine the kind of blood that we just saw. Of course out of that not. Scene, no, it you know? was horrifying. It would look like a Renaissance painting at times. I mean, the scenes on the court. It was, it was, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. I don't even know what else to say about it. So, you know, Did I don't you think, think LeBron James was trying to draw blood there. I think LeBron James was trying to sort of, you know, let him know that he's still there, basically. Yeah, and it's, a, it's the wrong way to do it, for sure. It's, it's the wrong do way you, to do it. And I worry, I mean, I worry a little for LeBron's, I don't know what to call it here. Image. You know, I say his image, but also just his own sense of well-being. You know, I saw the Rockets go at him. I saw, you know, these young guys yeah. on the Rockets, they would get switched on LeBron and they weren't passing out of the switch. They were going, okay, here's my, I'm going to take LeBron. And with LeBron um, seemingly feeling the way he is physically right now, I think there are going to be a lot of guys taking a run at LeBron so he better get used to some of this and figure out how to respond better because I think it's going to keep happening I think it's yeah. fair can, yeah. can I ask just real quick can I pose yeah. it to both of you Jalen um, did you think that the fines and the suspensions um, were uh, adequate you know do you think they matched the situation yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, I guess I'm sort of parroting what um, Zach Lowe said on his podcast. It came out today with Kevin Arnovitz. Um, he was saying essentially that unless you murder someone on the court, um, Adam Silver is not going to suspend you for more than like a game or two. Um, and that seems to be the precedent that was set in the Nikola Jokic example. Um, I, I, th- I think that like, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't, I'm not sure if it really serves us well to compare, but I feel like the the Jokic example, it was an immediate reaction. It was in the moment, but just the way that all that lined up, you know, a one game suspension, I think was probably low in my opinion. I feel like he maybe should have gotten a couple games, two or three games at least. Um, And, but in the case of LeBron getting suspended for one game and, Stewart getting suspended for two, that seems fair. You know, like you said, I think 
it's a play where I'm not even sure if LeBron wanted to hit Stewart. I think he wanted to get him off of him. Like, I think yeah. Isaiah Stewart is just a massive human being <laughs> who's like trying really hard to get a free throw rebound that he has probably a very limited chance of getting, but that's his game, right? Like he has to get the very few ones that he will have an opportunity to get. And LeBron's an older, talented superstar player who's probably thinking, why in the world is this dude pushing me so aggressively on a free throw rebound that he knows he's not going to get? And so he's just like kind of swinging his arm to get off of him. I don't know. Like I said, he certainly, he certainly didn't mean to hit him in the face. He certainly didn't intend uh, to bloody him up. Uh, maybe he intended to like hit him across the chest or like I said, just get him off of him because it, it, like Stewart is just leaning on him so much and you can right. see LeBron sort of tilting uh, beneath yeah. that force that Stewart is, is, is playing with on the play. But yeah, I mean, that, that was my take on it. And I understand like you, you can't have a situation where a player just won't uh, allow the situation to deescalate and to like come to an right. end, you know, that's, right. that and can that's be why dangerous. he got two games. Yeah, exactly. That's why you got two games that can be dangerous. Um, You don't want a situation where for some insane reason, the fans uh, start getting involved. So I understand that. And I think it wasn't, it was like not an overreaction by Adam Silver. Like he'd suspend him only two games, right? It could have, the suspension maybe could have been more given just you know, how wild it was. Like he was very intent on getting to LeBron. He he even pulled the, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not fine. I'm like running back to, uh, you know, went through the tunnel. He went, you know, it was all cool going off the court, went through the tunnel, came out the other way. Um, Corey Joseph apparently had anticipated this act from him and was, and had moved to the other tunnel to try to stop that from happening. And, it, and somewhere uh, a few people had questioned why Corey Joseph hadn't received a technical or some penalty. Um, but the referee <laughs> was like, well, that, that was a good thing we thought. Like, <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I, I'm not someone, I don't think I've ever been in like a real fight in my life. I'm not someone who is out here saying that players should be fighting more or, you know, that's not something that i promote or anything like that but you know in the world of sports you know if in the example of baseball someone like Madison Bumgarner I always make fun of for a number of reasons but one of them is because he does this tough guy act where he pretends like he wants to fight everyone but he has the literal opportunity like you can fight in baseball right like eventually (laughs) the the bullpen and the umpire will get there but the batter is 60 feet six inches away from you um and you know, he's maybe even closer after you hit him with the pitch. Like if he wanted to fight, he could fight people. And it was pretty clear that Isaiah Stewart wanted to fight and was going to go to whatever lengths to make sure he got that done. So I don't think anyone can accuse him of not being serious (laughs) in his intent. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That, that part seemed extremely clear. Um, And I was very glad that um, Cade Cunningham coaches other people um, were able to hold him back um, yeah an ugly ugly incident I wish it hadn't happened um, I wish it hadn't happened for both players I wish both players hadn't reacted that way um, let's hope it doesn't happen again let's hope there's no furthering of this incident in their next match next matchup um, this is exactly what I, yeah. I'm looking for it right now I have to know so the next Lakers matchup is coming up soon. You realize this? How soon? How soon? This uh, is like the 29th for the, 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 the 
Nuggets and um, it's the twenty eighth. The Lakers are okay. going to face the Pistons in Detroit again. So we have two again. potential fight games coming up: the Lakers yeah. and the Pistons on the twenty eighth, and the Nuggets. And I'm blanking on this. Who did? Who did? Oh, the, the, heat. the Heat. The Heat. The heat yeah. Of course. Um, uh, so two potential fight games. Let's hope nothing happens in either. And I'm just going to bring up a little bit of other NBA news to completely change the subject. Iman Shumpert. I'm sorry. The, I'm sorry. That that one's going to be at Staples Center. Okay. Just, just as, okay. In Mon Schumper in the Dancing yeah. Stars. Yeah. Right. He won. He won. The first NBA player to win Dancing NBA Stars. Player. Shams sure. had to correct X, himself. Of course. Of course. No longer playing. It's been a while uh, since he was out on the court with LeBron. Um, but yeah, he won. Uh, good for the NBA. Bad for the NBA. Good for Dancing with the Stars. Bad for Dancing with the Stars. Does anybody really care? Never watched Dance with the Stars, <laughs> but I'm just going to call it good for everyone involved. Good for you, Iman. <laughs> Congratulations, Iman Shumpert, on your big win. I hope there's a trophy that goes with your championship trophy. Um, I hope they're displayed next to each other. Um, one of the other things we wanted to talk about, Jalen, last week you went to a real NBA game in a real <laughs> NBA arena with other people and teams and crowd noise and all kinds of stuff happening. What's it like to be at a real NBA game at the tail end of our pandemic? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm still breathing, you know, vaccinated. So hopefully nothing will come of my attendance at the game. And it, the, we should say the game was in New York. It was at MSG. It was the Knicks and the Magic uh, last Wednesday. So uh, you have to show proof of vaccination to get into Madison Square Garden, as we know, is part of the reason why um, Kyrie Irving isn't playing this season. So, you know, that's that's helpful. That, that gives you some comfort about one's health and safety. But sure. the game uh, was a lot of fun. I mean, um, I'll say that the Knicks court is beautiful. Um, and I sort of felt like I was in a romantic comedy or popular movie <laughs> because I feel like somehow they always show, you know, those five second clips from Knicks games and they show Spike on the floor. Um, and yeah, the, the court is just beautiful, the hardwood and, and the, the orange logo. Um, so the court was beautiful. There was a very rowdy fan next to me who was, uh, not very happy with Julius Randle, who had a tough game that night. Uh, Obi Toppin, I think maybe outplayed him in that game. Toppin had a really good game in that one. Um, Toppin was six of nine from the field, uh, for 14 points, five rebounds, two assists, uh, and one block. So, and Randall was four for 11 for 13 points, uh, with, uh, five rebounds, three assists, one steal. So, uh, a yeah, a sub, Is sub Toppin game actually for developing? Good. I think so. He looks more comfortable. I mean, I think the pick and roll combination with Derek Rose works well for him. He gets a chance to be that role man, um, and catch lobs and finish around the basket. Uh, he looks more comfortable playing uh, from the perimeter, initiating drives uh, from the per perimeter. The three-point shot is not going in. I looked this up because he knocked down a couple threes in this game. He was two for three uh, from three-point range in this game. But on the season, he's not, not making his threes at an impressive clip. I think it was like 30% or lower the last time I checked. So um, you would like to see that tick up. And if it does, you know, you have to feel like they have a real – a quality backup center or backup power forward in him. I'm not sure if he'll ever have the 
combination of skills and defense in order to be a starter, but um, he certainly is much improved from his rookie year. Um, and he's making a real impact. I mean, I think this has been said ad nauseum, basically on any uh, basketball media, but the the Knicks second unit is killing it and their starters <laughs> yeah. are not playing very well. So Toppin uh, is a part of that. Yeah, it, it's interesting to see a couple of teams uh, working in that model. The Knicks second unit, come, you know, the first unit goes out down, second unit comes out, gets them back in it. And they just flip flop like that all day. Uh, all game um uh they they win if the second unit holds up and doesn't get too tired from playing extra minutes getting them back in it and yeah it's 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 been a fascinating thing to watch um yeah, expecting I, changes in tibbs roster lineups does burks move in does rose move in i was gonna say you know rj barrett i've been watching on my fantasy team has just had a, a terrible run here yeah. recently like it's every, t- every time rough. I come, every time I come and look at a game in the second quarter or something, he's like, Oh, for six. And then he like, he, he rounds it out by shooting like 25% from the field. Right. And Burks has been good. I, I, I also picked up Burks as a, just kind of a random flyer right before he kind of broke out this last weekend. Um, gave me a couple of pretty good games there. Um, as a, just a news note, uh, they are up uh, 10-0 against the Lakers right now. And, Um, Something that I found interesting that we might talk about uh, Pistons related because, you know, Isaiah Stewart is out. You know who they started at center? Trey Lyles. Luca Garza. Garza. Garza? Garza. Yeah. Probably the, is he the slowest center in the NBA? Uh, Maybe, maybe. He might try the hardest, but he's the slowest. He's plus three on the game right now uh, with a rebound and and an assist and uh the pistons lead after the first quarter 28 to 20 over jalen's heat well we did see the pistons in great need of a big body in the second half of that sunday game against the lakers you know with with kelly olenic already out and stewart getting ejected they were very small (laughs) and and AD destroyed them over the rest of that game so um they do need a body there and I don't yeah, think Lyles say, is that body. <laughs> I'll say Frank Vogel and AD talked about how LeBron getting ejected as if that was some crime uh, galvanized them and brought them together um, and, you know, gave them the fight and the want to that they needed to beat checks notes, the Detroit Pistons uh, in the Who year 2021, 22 starters. <laughs> and, you know, on the one hand, like, I do think that stuff is real. Like I do think what AD and Vogel were saying is real. You know, there can be these moments in a season that bring a team together um, and push them forward and set them on the right path. But they also, it's probably not a good sign if you need that sort of want to and grit to beat the Detroit Pistons Um, the Warriors uh, dismantled the Pistons recently or at least beat the Pistons recently without many of their stars playing um, including Steph Curry that game but they were in this game against the Lakers and it's it's like it's just not a good sign if if it takes that much to beat the Pistons in the year 2021 and and this was in the Hollinger article too um, about LeBron's decline and, and Lakers troubles in general and I 
can't find my note on it. I want to say, maybe you have this, Kyle. Um, I think the Lakers are nine and nine right now. And one of the things a lot of people were calling out early, it's been difficult with all of their injuries, of course, but that this was the easy part of the Lakers schedule and they still have an easy stretch for a bit, but then it gets pretty difficult um, after the new year, I believe it is uh, to see them nine and nine through the easy part of the schedule. It doesn't, bode well for them they've sort of in a lot of people's power rankings and projections they've slipped from you know a kind of contending team into the play-in game category yeah i mean for the lakers they want to make sure they're not in the play-in tournament yeah Um, they they don't want to be there like the the warriors didn't last year that yeah yeah, you just you don't want to be in the play-in tournament um and you know that's just more wear and tear on your players more high intensity games, more heavy minutes loads. Um, you know, it means you're going to be in a bad matchup probably with whoever has a one seed, unless that team is specifically ducking you um, as we saw uh, happen last year. Um, so you, they just, as long as they're not in the play in, then they have to be happy with that and, and just hope that AD um, and LeBron are enough to get it done. Um, and the question is, the question is, and the question uh, exist, I think, for both of those parties, right? Like, we're talking about LeBron being uh, in decline, which I think is probably indisputable at this point. Like, he's probably just not as good as he sure. was, you know, even in the bubble, right? Uh, he right. might not be as good as he was in the bubble. And AD certainly isn't as good as he was in the bubble right now. <laughs> and it's like, not. if you don't get the best version of one, probably both of those players. Uh, it's going to be tough to win a championship. And I mean, I think the same can be said for a team like uh, the Nets, right? Like without Kyrie Irving, they need James Harden to be something closer to Houston James Harden than this season's James Harden to be at their peak. Um, And of course, you know, the Bucks have injuries. So like, you know, we're just assuming that Brooke Lopez is going to come back from whatever uh, nebulous back injury that he has right, right now, which is maybe not something we should assume. But if he does come back healthy, you have to feel like they're the safest bet to, to win it all just because we've just saw them do it. And then they'll have the pieces and pretty much the same team minus PJ Tucker right. um, that they had last year. So, I mean, it, it really is a wide open playoff right, race. I think we can expect that. There is another team who's been playing extremely well, better than other people thought, also missing a really big star. Are they not the odds-on favorite now? Do you know what uh, I'm talking about? Uh, the Warriors? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've been playing incredibly well without Clay Thompson, without James, without two of their presumed starters. Um, I mean, I'm just going to say this, that my opinion is completely not uh objective and it's much more fun to be a fan of the underdog than it is the team (laughs) that's uh the hunted you know so the warriors moving from like everyone being down on them at the beginning of the season to now Stephen a pronouncing them favorites every single time he does a tv hit i don't like this feeling i feel like only bad (laughs) things happen whenever Stephen a starts picking the warriors and of course that's just that's just crazy fandom because uh, there's probably no statistics that back that up. But yeah, so I'm going to say, no, they're not the odds on favorite. But, you know, right. I mean, they look like probably one of the best three teams, three to five teams in the NBA. I mean, we have to mention the the Suns. I unfortunately have not watched them play a lot this season, though I do have DeAndre Aiden on my fantasy team. And he just came back and I think had 20 and 10. 
Um, and they the, didn't the Suns lose are really while good. he was out. They didn't lose while he was out. And I mean, another, you know, another yeah. team missing a star. They didn't lose while he was out. Yeah. I mean, I think the Warriors have to be up there as one of the handful of best teams in the NBA for sure. That's just undis. Do you put you, Utah you there as a fifth team then? Who's your fifth? Um, yeah, Utah, so I mean, the Warriors, are you, Warriors doing the <laughs> are you doing the Zach Lowe inter-Pentagon here? Inter-Pentagon? Yeah. Warriors, Suns, Nets, uh, Bucks, and then, I mean, I feel like the Heat don't have enough offense, but I just, I just, I don't believe in the, in the, the jazz. Like, I, everyone yeah, is either. like... Everyone is like, uh, bad things always happen for like the fran- uh, franchises, like the Timberwolves. But bad things seems to always happen for the Jazz in the playoffs too. Whether it's like facing James Harden two two years in a row, facing the Warriors, um, having Donovan Mitchell and Conley be injured, like it just seems like whatever confluence of factors uh, makes them less than the sum of their parts in the playoffs is just right. going to happen again. Right. So yeah. the Warriors playing excellently and um i i think uh you know i'm pretty surprised by how well their depth is played you know yeah um, the, and they can uh, go 12 deep right yeah, now sure. <laughs> it's like but I, I i say that to you know i don't rate them as highly as what i do either the nets the bucks or the suns right now um to me those those three teams are um really in in a tier above everyone else and they're kind of in the tier where i think without without Kyrie, and if clay comes back i think i would favor the warriors over the nets slightly but sorry interesting yeah yeah i i there's so there are a lot of players for the nets right now that are just not playing up to potential. And I just kind of expect them to round into form. Like Blake is not going to shoot 15% forever, you know, from three. And uh, I mean, LaMarcus is playing almost too well, but like, I still expect him to be um, a contributing factor for a while. I think they, they'll really, um, they'll fare better when, um, when they get Claxton back. I don't know how often, how much they'll play him. Like, I don't, I had an opportunity. He might start. And one other thing we know is Harden loves the pick and roll with Claxton. Yeah. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I still, you know, obviously, I mean, they still, they have the best record in the East right now and uh, they they haven't even been playing well, you know? Um, (laughs) And, and, the Warriors, it's mainly because their, their schedule hasn't been that difficult yet. Um, and the, in, it's mainly, I would love to see Wiseman pan out and pan out soon. Yeah. But I just don't see him being an impact player right away, especially like when you're talking about like championship level this season, expecting him to come in and be that kind of player. So it's like the one major piece you have coming back is going to be Clay. And we still have to see what he's going to play like after, you know, two years off um, with yeah, the Achilles and then the ACL. And, um, you know, 
sports medicine has been really excellent recently. We've seen people come back from injuries and play better than what they did before. I mean, Katie's a great example of this. Um, you know, yeah. to, like whether you know, I, I still want fingers wanna, crossed for Clay. I, I still want to see. I just don't think it's crazy for me to say like the Suns, the team that went to the NBA Finals in the Western Conference <laughs> last year, and then the two presumptive favorites from last year in the East are the three best teams in the league right now. Yeah. I put the Heat behind um, them too. I. I'm not quite a believer in the heat offense yet. Exactly the same thing that Jalen was saying. I think that they are just like defensive menaces. I th- I'm like, I, I have yeah, an incredible defensive team. And I, and I too um, am a little worried about their offense, but I think that the Kyle Lowry effect will continue to grow over the course of the season. And I, I think that at the very least improves if it doesn't become, you know, um, top five offense. And I was going to put it on the record here. Um, I'm not going to write off the Lakers yet. So to follow, to go back to what your, your point was, Michael, that Lakers always have a a more difficult second half than a first half um, because they, you know, they are, I mean, they have a stretch here where they play 11 out of 12 games on national TV. Um, wow. On national TV between TNT, ABC, and, and, and ESPN, not even in factoring in NBA TV there. Right. 11 out of 12 games in a row um, from like February into, you know, early March. Right. And, and so like th- those are going to be tough, you know, yeah. um, li- like stretches for them. Um, but, and this is just like, the, you know, as regular as the Lakers season is being more difficult in the second half is Russell Westbrook's tendency to, um, you know, yeah. perform much, much better in the second half of the season than the first half. And I think that, you know, barring he's going to have to perform a lot better to, uh, yeah. to make himself impactful because he, he's digging himself a big enough hole this year. I think he's going well, to, I think he's going to come back and be, we saw it in the Pistons game a little bit. I mean, there was a different version of Russ in that fourth quarter than we've seen most of his time with the Lakers. And I think, you know, when we saw it happen with the wizards uh, last year, the way he improved over the course of the season, he's and, been on into four what different that team needed yeah. different yeah. years. Like it's like, give him some time to figure it out. Like, I'm just not going to write off. Like he did say oh. Westbrook early. I'm going to make this AD. I can't remember the exact words. Basically, he's like, I'm going to open up AD's game. You aren't going to believe what you see from this guy. And we need to see it now. (laughs) It's time. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I, at this point, if, if we have any fame, I, I might be famous for like, uh, trashing Russell Westbrook on this podcast. So I feel like I'm (laughs) playing the old hits again here, but, um, yeah, I mean, you say he's been on three different teams in the past three years, but I mean, there's a reason for that. And one of them is namely that he's a, not as good of a player as he was in the past, and yet he still carries a massive usage and a massive turnover rate. I said four um, teams in so, four years because I counted the Thunder there, you know, it's just okay. as in like he, he had to come right. into like, Thunder Rockets. As a, as a, I realize they, they weren't new, but it's just like he had to change teams. That, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. that, that, systems, is, that is three. four different groups of players, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, generally, I agree with you. I agree that I think the Suns, Nets, and Bucks uh, should be probably the three favorites, with maybe the Warriors right behind them. It, I just my thinking was based upon what we've seen in recent history. There's sort of some bad juju for James Harden playing against the Warriors in the playoffs. 
Also some general bad juju for James Harden in the playoffs generally. Um, And just like the specific style that the Warriors play, um, I think could give that Nets team and that Nets defense some trouble. But obviously, on the other hand, KD almost beat the Bucs who won the championship single-handedly basically last season. So that's certainly something we should keep in mind. Um, And yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily ready to give up on the Lakers, but I mean, like I said, they have to stay out of the play-in. Like, I don't think they could win the championship coming out of the play-in tournament. Um, And it's getting to a point where, like you said, these upcoming games are going to have to, do pretty well in these upcoming games. I mean, the benefit is that like the, the West is just not as strong as it typically has been. So they'll have like less uh, ground to make up in the process, but yeah, they definitely need to right the ship and they definitely need that second half surge from Russell Westbrook and Westbrook is a good player. He's an impactful player. He has very clear flaws. Um, He's not a great shooter. Can't really shoot very well. He doesn't shoot the free throw very well he doesn't have a lot of craft around the basket as a finisher so as his um athleticism has waned his finishing has uh, gone down alongside that lack of athleticism so yeah i mean i don't know i'm not here i'm not necessarily saying that they should have done the buddy healed deal and they'd be better with buddy healed you know i don't know i i just think that they have to figure it out and they have to get it going and LeBron is still going to be heard from and still going to need to be reckoned with, you know, like it's not going to be a situation where LeBron is going to make it easy for you. You're going to have, (laughs) you're going to have to take it from him and, you know, sort of kill the, 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 like, I don't know, the aging demigod or something, you know, like he's not going to make it easy for you. You're going to have to do it. (laughs) Yeah, clearly, clearly. Um, all right. Well, one last uh, thing. One last okay. thing. That I'm, that I'm gonna Kyle, oppose. last word. Go. One. One last thing I'm going to pose to Jalen because I know that he's a big Tyrese Halliburton fan, and of course, we all love to watch um, the Kings um, in part because their announcers are great um, and because they're a fun <laughs> team to watch. And they fired Luke Walton, and you know, oh, there's just yeah, a lot we of didn't stuff even going talk on about here, it. You know, but um, so. Uh, Having De'Aaron Fox on my team, I'm um, you know acutely aware of the the shifts that have happened in his playing style this season as Tyrese Halliburton has um, you know uh, come on um, and uh, and I start to think that they that the 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 pairing of of De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton is not ideal. Um, and then you've got Buddy Heald there too. Um, but what if Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald is a pretty good pair for you? And what if, what if maybe the opportunity that you have is trading De'Aaron Fox for, I don't know, something like a playmaking power forward like Ben Simmons, um, who huh, would, who would be, available? who would be a power forward <laughs> in this situation and would help with their size because they really have some troubles with Rashawn Holmes isn't on the court. And uh, I don't know. Right. Um, right. I, I, yeah. I want to see it. Yeah. I mean, I'm literally just, saying what Zach Lowe said, which is that would the 
would the Sixers even accept that deal? I mean, you mentioned Buddy Heald as thrown in with that. I don't know how the money would line up if both I players I didn't throw could... him in. I actually said the Kings keep him because, oh, okay. because he's a, maybe, maybe a good pairing alongside um, Halliburton, um, who's, a, yeah. just, who's a real, as in the point is like Halliburton has proven himself to be um, a lead ball handler. And um, he just, he's, he's going to work better when he's got another, uh, when he, when he doesn't have a second lead ball handler um, who really needs the ball in his hand and is somewhat less efficient, you know? Um, Yeah, I guess, I guess, I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority here. I don't know what public opinion is on this. I think I'd be a bit nervous about making Halliburton the every down point guard uh, and the lead ball handler. You would have Ben Simmons. Would okay, be the well, point. in that in that you know? scenario yeah if, if i have been as, as in like it, what you're doing is you're freeing him up to be a kind of like lead ball handler in certain kind of settings and like you could you could like play it off in ways that you can't do it with with deer and fox now because the defensive problems that you have because of his size you know no, I, I do like that pairing i do like that deal and it's because I, of buddy being there too basically i'm like you got the shooter already alongside it right, right. yeah i mean at this point like with Luke Walton gone, De'Aaron Fox not playing well. I mean, the 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 Kangs doing their Kangs <laughs> thing and sort of being dysfunctional. Like, absolutely. I mean, a pairing of uh, Tyrese Halliburton and Ben Simmons, I think, is just obviously a way better defensive pairing. Halliburton can play the passing lanes. Ben Simmons can guard the other team's best point guard or best wing, whichever Probably one you wing. prefer. Yeah. Um, you have more size across the board with Harrison Barnes, Rashawn Holmes, and Ben Simmons. Um, you know, maybe uh, maybe Buddy Heald gets to start uh, in this scenario <laughs> like he's always wanted to. Um, so I, I certainly think that is a good pairing. It's just a question of whether or not Daryl Morey would be willing to accept that. I mean, you've already said you already know my stance on this. Like Daryl Morey just needs to suck it up because this is partly of his doing. And, you know, the only way out of it is going to be to admit some of your own failures. And if he doesn't do that, his, you know, trading potential with Simmons is actually going to go down. I think he thinks that he has a window and he probably does around December 15th, but that window is going to close pretty quickly if Ben Simmons doesn't play any games this season. Well, he has had a couple other windows that he's completely missed. You, <laughs> you know, they, they, they existed and he completely whiffed on them. Um, but I, I, I do like uh, this trade that the two of you have come up with along with some others out there. Um, you heard it here, uh, Ben Simmons to the Kings. It's going to happen probably um, December 15th. Let's call it right now. Um, all right, that is this edition of the Shot Tower Pod. We are turning off the Phantom Power. Cheers. <laughs>